Welcome to the Architecture Marketing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vanity Projects, which is my business, so I'm stoked to give it a little plug. Uh, Vanity Projects is the leading marketing consultant for architecture firms all over the world. When you partner with Vanity Projects, you get all of the marketing strategy, ideas, and instructions that your practice needs without the time sink of figuring it out all on your own. When you should be doing stuff for your clients, you shouldn't be trying to read marketing blogs and see what people are doing on LinkedIn and Google how many times a week should I post on Instagram. All these things are taking up your time. And because architecture is such a unique industry or profession, a lot of the marketing advice that you'll find in books and blogs and podcasts just really doesn't apply. What you need is proven, trusted, tested Uh, recommendations from somebody who's worked with a lot of architecture firms. And I've worked with over a hundred firms now since leaving architecture school. So my background was in architecture, but now I work with architects day in, day out. And if you follow my podcast or read my blog, you know that I live and breathe the architecture business or the business of architecture. I'm an absolute nerd for it. And I spend every day learning more and passing that on to my clients So, why I'm bringing this plug up today is that Vanity Projects is currently looking for a handful of new clients for February 2019, but we're kind of picky and we want to get to know you first and work out whether or not your firm will be a good fit for us and vice versa. So, if 2019 is going to be a big year for your architecture firm and you just want to crush it on social media, nail your positioning get published, and all of the other hats that you have to wear as a director, then visit vanityprojects.com.au to book your first strategy session. We'll get to know each other, work out where your firm is now, where it should be, and how to get there in 2019. And if it looks like we're on the right track, we'll take you on as an ongoing client, we'll meet monthly, and we'll continue to build out your strategy and uh, push you towards your goal. So, that leads me to our guest today. On the Architecture Marketing Podcast, we're always looking for new ideas, people that are doing things a little bit differently, trying new stuff, and are getting results from it in the architecture world. And today's guest is Jennifer Crawford of Our New Home Coach. She runs a very uh, a very different practice to what you usually see. She She's more like a consultant who helps clients with the very early stages of their project, the kind of the pre-design phases of things where she's helping them to decide what they need, educating them on how architecture gets built and kind of building up their their knowledge and their expertise so that they can confidently work with an architect to finish their home or renovation. So being at the kind of the coal face, she has a lot of valuable insights for anybody who's practicing in architecture. Uh, around what are clients thinking and feeling, what are their pain points, what are their hopes, fears, and dreams. But more than that, she is currently booking 50 to 100 new clients a year, and she's doing it using social media strategies that are truly um, unique in the industry um, that I think give you some very, very good direction for things that you could possibly look at trying in your practice. So enjoy the podcast with Jennifer Crawford of Our New Home Coach. Okay, so the 1990s is the decade I spent at university, literally. Mm. I spent mm. all of the 90s studying architecture at UTS, and that was all good. 
Um, I was at UTS while the course was a part-time format, so I worked the entire time that I was at uni. So I got registered pretty much like the minute I got out, I signed up for registration and was yeah, registered within a year of me graduating. Um, while I was a student, I had worked in various small practices um, and that was all good, um, you know, but I uh, got to see a lot of different projects and because there were small practices, I got to see them from beginning to end. So on site, so I wasn't just stuck doing toilet details or stair details. I was actually talking to builders on small projects on site. So that's how I was able to get registered so quickly because I had that site experience and mm. documentation experience and whatever. So that was good. Yeah. Um, then I got sick of working in small practice and bosses complaining about how much the biscuits were costing us. So <laughs> um, I ended up working for a large corporate uh, construction and development company. And I was there for 12 years and that was great. Like that was, I really appreciate my time there. Um, and that was fantastic. And I got in that environment, I got exposure to a lot of other parts of business rather than just what happens in an architectural practice. Mm. So in the second half of my time there, I worked in the communities business. So that meant new suburbs, new communities, um, that sort of thing. And my job was that I was the design coordinator on site. So okay. I was responsible for design guidelines and the enforcement of them and the development of them. So mm. I would see um, so many people, well, lots of people, hundreds of people, um, building new houses in new areas. And it was my job to approve the house plans from our company perspective before they went to council. So yeah. I would see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of house plans <laughs> and we would tie ourselves in knots uh, trying to come up with guidelines that would, you know, make things better, but you can write the most, you know, convoluted design guidelines you like. Um, yeah. It doesn't guarantee good design and mm. it uh, sometimes it scares people more than it informs them. So mm. um, I was really keen on actually talking to the people as you know, the people buying the land as yeah. early as possible in the process. Because if I could get to them, even before they'd bought their block of land and just talk them through, you know, what their options were or find out what they were actually looking for, I could help them make the right decision for them mm. and, you know, and get a decent, um, you know, built form result, like a decent house that, that worked well, was orientated in the right way and actually worked for them and their family. Um, and this was the reason that I started um, Our New Home Coach. Mm. And the reason why there's no architect in the name Our New Home Coach, because a lot of people ask me that, why, you know, why don't you call yourself an architect? Well, I do. I'm not, I don't hide the fact that I'm an architect, but yeah. a lot of my customers would actually be intimidated by yeah. talking to an architect and think, oh, no, we don't have enough money to talk to an architect. You know, we can't do that. It's like, well, yeah. not really. Um, and even, you know, my, my parents, they, when they built their house, you know, in the seventies, they never would have gone to an architect. It just wasn't in their realm of understanding. Yeah. And there's, some, there's some, there's some sort of like cultural differences depending on like where and how you grew up. Like when I was a kid, yeah. none of my friends lived in houses designed by architects and I didn't have yeah. an architect design home. I don't even know anybody that built their home. Everyone just bought them. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, like, yeah. so it's kind yeah. of like, depends where you come from. Right. 
I yes, mean, absolutely. There, mu- there must be people where everybody they know lived in a house that was designed by an architect. And so it's just yeah, like, I don't, yeah, I don't must know be those some people. Different. <laughs> yeah, I don't know those people. I don't know them too well either. Um, but, but yeah, so there's kind of like this sense of that intimidation. Was that yeah. just a sort of a, do you think that architecture has on the label we're pricey or, and they're just kind of getting that message or is it just sort of a well, not, it's part of not the, knowing it? I think yeah there's there's a couple of different things um I've worked in quite a few practices now and you know most of the bosses that I've had if someone rings up you know offering new work they're often not actually that nice to them on the phone like here's an inquiry and you know Mm -hmm. someone and and often um architects can in my experience be a bit uh a lot of the ones i've worked for anyway and they've, they've been excellent architects you know in terms of architecture and building they're, they're brilliant um but mm. their bedside manner for one of another term is not great yeah, they can point. be intimidating and they can be oof, and they can be you know why are you talking to me for you know <laughs> they can be quite off-putting they're not the most inviting friendly people and even when you go to architectural events you know and you've got a room full mm. of architects a lot of them you know they're not that you know, unless they know someone already, they're not necessarily all that engaging. I, I don't know if it's part of the profession that, that, you know, we're an introverted bunch and maybe we yeah. are, I include myself in that. And so they're not the most outgoing and, and warm and friendly people. So, you know, if you're mm-hmm. trying to get customers, it's like you've actually got to be approachable at some level to, to get them to know, like, and trust you, you know? Yeah. So going back to your kind of, um, your story, then you sort of, you took that experience working with all those people and you found that you were able to give them so much value. And then you thought, Oh yeah. And then, and then yeah. our new home coach kind of comes along. Yes. And maybe and, talk a little oh, bit about what you, Oh no, no. Yeah. Go on. No, I was just, I was just gonna, you know, be brutally frank with um, mm. our new home mm. coach that I had, when I started it, I had an, an idea in my head over who my customers would be. In reality, um, my customers are not who I thought they would be, and that's mm. a bit of a surprise to me. But you know, wait, I'm who are your cu- who are your customers? Wait, maybe who did you think it was going to be, and what did you get? What did you end up with? <laughs> okay, so who I thought it would be was the people building in new areas and um, building with project home builders. Sure, because they were the people that I was dealing. with with when I was working for the corporation and I, and I still believe, I still believe that those people need a lot of help, Mm. you know, and I still believe that I can help them. In reality, those, there's, those people have probably been about less than 5% of my customers. So a tiny proportion. I have had some, but not many. Um, The majority of people that have become my real customers are those, um, doing renovations um mm. all over, not not in a specific geographical area but all over metro sydney so i've i've traveled you know as far south as engadine as far north as you know not quite palm beach but almost that far and you know the blue mountains and whatever so geographically really quite diverse all over metro sydney um but yeah they're, they're people that i would have traditionally thought were in the sort of market for other architects Mm. and yet they're coming to me. And I think they're coming to me because 
I offer this like small bite of service yeah. that that doesn't commit them to too much, you know, initially, you know, in yes. the first instance. And they quite like that small little bite of stuff. And then, you know, mm -hmm. after that, they can decide what they want to do with it, whether they want to progress further yep. or, or not. So it's a, yeah. it's, you know, in marketing terms, it's what they call a tripwire. So it's, you know, it's mm -hmm. low commitment and, I you like know, that. just a little bit. It's low commitment and it requires just the amount of trust that a website can give you and yes. some social media and a couple of testimonials. Yes. It doesn't. Yeah. It's, I think about how terrifying the leap from go on an architect's website, call them, mm. come mm. for a meeting, sign a big mm. contract. Like mm. I can't think of that many architects that from their public sort of persona and what they've achieved that you could really trust them <laughs> enough. <laughs> but so it almost surprises me that as many architect design homes get built as they do really, because yes. like what basis do you have to really trust most yes. of the architects out there? Um, I guess yes. the, if you believe in what the professional thing is uh, and the yes. architect, the protected title, if you believe in that as a consumer, then it's, it, it, it carries all that for you. But do you have any thoughts on that? Like, I mean, you mentioned the architect, uh, thing it says like it's the second line down on your website. So it's still something that's there, but do your yeah. clients find that to be, you said it's sort of an intimidation thing, but does that imbue some trust for them or are they a little bit skeptical about that or? Uh, they do. It is quite, I think initially, yeah, it's a complicated question. I think initially they don't necessarily come to me because I'm an architect that, but they find out pretty early on in the piece, oh, she's actually an architect, so she, she kind of, she should know what she's talking about. So I think it does, and I'm quite upfront with people when they contact me through whatever means, because some people hear about me through, you know, other people, they may not have gone to my website. And so um, for those people, I say, yes, I am a registered architect, and that's like the, if not the first, the second thing I say. So... That then I think there is a a level of a level of understanding of what that is. Oh, she's actually, you know, she's a trained person. She's not just someone who's just making it up, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. An element of of trust uh, mm. that comes along with using that title. And, you know, I worked bloody hard for that title. You know, I was at university for almost a decade, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Yes. I, I should get to use it. I'm legally yeah. entitled to use it and, and yeah. I will use it because there is pride associated with it. Mm. Yeah. So, so sorry, going back to the, the bit about uh, the small bite, I think it's good. For, for, you know, I always forget that the people listening don't know exactly what you do, but let's like have a quick look um, on your website that you, you say the small bite, but a lot of the times it's kind of the front end things that maybe are the most you know, I think you, your website summarizes it perfectly. Home building can be confusing and stressful. Wouldn't it be good to have someone to talk to? And it's at yep. those early stages that are the most confusing and the most stressful where the person um, building the home has to make all the decisions. They, yes. They're not able to outsource or delegate things like choosing the best block of land, um, yep choose, you know, pointing out like all the, the kinds of things that you've, you know, the kind of costly mistakes you can make where you're, because you're doing everything on your own, you're doing it for yeah. the first time. Um, yeah. There isn't a whole bunch of literature out there that's customized to Melbourne or, 
or Sydney yeah. or, or whatever. So you're yeah. going, does this info that I found on Wikipedia even apply to myself here or what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're focused primarily on those things that cause sort of the most distress and people feel like there's the fewest resources out there to yes. help them with, right? Yes. Yes. And mm. a lot of, a lot of my customers actually, a lot of my renovation customers are at the point where they're like, well, should we do it or not? You know, they're not, they're not even sure if they want to renovate because they've heard, you know, all the nightmare stories and how, you know, cost blowouts and how much and the pain and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, should we renovate or should we move? Mm. So they're at that, that level of conversation and all they, all they want to know. And, and some of them too want to know, well, are we crazy? You know, we want to do all this, you know, are we mad for wanting to do all this or th- does this make sense? Like, is, is this feasible? Can we do it? So the small bite that I offer them is an hour or two hours of my time and we just go through and we go through all their ideas and their options and what's likely and what's not likely and, you know, what's got a snowflake's chance of actually getting approved or, you know, what's going to cost them a million bucks when they've only got 200 grand to spend, you know? Mm -hmm. So then they can, after that session, they can go, okay, well, you know, maybe this part of our idea is really good and we should pursue that. Or maybe like, let's just forget it. Let's just sell the house and move, you know? And there's, because I, I charge them. And the thing is a lot of architects do what I do for free, but in anticipation of getting the future work. Yes. I don't do anything for free. You pay me, I come see you, you know, but I, (laughs) I, I come sort of baggage free. Like I'm not anticipating future work. It's like you pay me for my time and that's it. And then yeah. if you want future work and if you want us to work together, we can. But if you don't, that's totally fine too. I, I wish you good luck. I say goodbye. I say, you know, have a nice mm. life. And mm. I think people actually appreciate, yeah, the, the commitment that they made. They've committed to those, those two hours. And a lot of my customers these days pay me up front, yes. um, even before the session. So, you know, I get there. We have the session. We say thank you very much and see you later. And sometimes mm. they call me back for future stuff and sometimes they don't and no skin off my nose. I don't mind either way. Yeah. And it helps you to get into a sort of a mindset where you can really um, embody your professional values, I suppose. Mm. Like yeah. the idea that you're kind of confl- somewhat conflicted by not charging them to give them advice, but you're hoping to make it up on the back end is kind of yeah. almost like yeah. sort of the worst things we see in the financial services industry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So good to have I, that. I, I found when I worked for the corporation and I would get a lot of stressed people coming to me um, because it, I spent, it's ridiculous, but I spent like 80% of my time there talking about fencing. Like if, yeah. if people talked about their houses as much as they talk about their fences, I would have been happy, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and, but, and it was fencing and the cost of fencing, like it was a huge issue for them. And oh, how do I split it with my neighbor? You know, how much am I spending? And, yeah. You know, it was the uncertainty that made them stressed. Now, if mm. I could tell, it kind of didn't matter what if they were spending 500 bucks on their fence or 10,000 bucks on their fence. It kind of didn't matter as long as I could give them the number that they could then process and work out, you know, whether they could do it or not. So that's mm. what with my service, I give people a number. This is how much it costs. Bang, there you go. And you can, you can choose whether you accept that or not. And there's mm. no negotiation. There's no, 
you know, because it's, it's, it's not a big amount of money. So it's either you, you buy it or you don't, just like going to Woolies and, you know, do I buy the really nice olive oil or do I buy the cheap one? You know, it, it's your choice. And so I mm. give people that choice. So one kind of common objection, because like I, you know, I do this too. My website has a price on yeah. it and people can click yeah. a button and they can pay me and it's yeah. good and, and, you know, all that works. And I try to sort of, I think it's a great life and I really, really mm. like it. I love your business and I see like you get all your, your, the numbers of kind of clients and inquiries. It just, it just matches up with what people want to do. So I try to communicate that, uh, that information to architects and my clients. Yeah. Um, yes. And they're not into it. <laughs> they're not fine. into That's it. Fine. So, so, that so, is so fine because there's more for me. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, I really... exactly. You're like, you're like, there's really great fishing in this lake, and but I don't, and yeah. I want to tell you about it, but I don't want any yeah. competition in it, right? So yeah. I get that, but um, I think the thing that they that they are kind of concerned about, I guess, understandably, is that what they picture from pivoting their business that way is that they're going to be spending all day talking to people, which they don't like because yep. they're introverted. Yep. And yep. then ultimately not getting to practice their craft. They can't see situation. Not getting to build stuff and build up their yep. career and get awards yep. and get yep. magazines. But yep. the really yep. important part, I think, for the audience yep. is that what you're saying is that it allows you to be talking to more people that could potentially lead to more projects, right? I mean, that's the up, yeah. that's the upside, yeah. Right? yeah. Absolutely. So, for example, like, and and you contacted me like just last week, and I posted on LinkedIn that I'd had over fifty inquiries this year, and someone else like posted, oh no, fifty clients. Sorry, fifty clients. Mm-hmm. I've had more. I've probably had close to a hundred inquiries or more this year. Yeah. And someone posted, was that, yeah, was that clients or inquiries? And, and I said, well, it's actually, client, it's actually invoices because I went through and I counted all the new people. And this is not repeat invoices. So for some people, I might have two or three invoices that went out. For other people, I only had one. This is like more than 50 unique customers. That's, that's one a week. Now, in architectural circles, I'd suggest to you that that's pretty high, right, mm. for a one-person show. You know, yep. that's um, – but – I, ideally, I would like to get that to 200 a year, you know, mm. or 300 a year. Uh, yes. Like I want that, that quantity of people. And if I spend, if I see two, two people a day, you know, four days a week, happy days, you know. Yeah. Um, and if, but if I don't have built stuff that gets photographed and awards and whatever, like to be frank, I don't care. Like that's not yeah. what matters to me what matters to me is that in a year i've helped so far like 50 plus people build the right house for them whether i did it the design for them and for some of them i have Mm. or whether they got someone else to design it but it just happens to work for them like that's what's important to me you know so i don't need to be in a magazine you know with a flashy thing because you know, there's a lot of other people out there that can do far flashier stuff than me. And, you know, I'll be honest about that, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but what I can do is help this family and that family and that other family over there uh, live a much more comfortable life in their yes. home. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely. What and it's still me. using, it's still tapping into all of your skills and knowledge. And, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Like it's, yeah, it's putting you, it's challenging you as well. And also, I mean, yeah. 
creative entrepreneurial creative people and people in creative businesses um sometimes one of uh our biggest achilles heels is that we do seek out enjoyment and variety more than sort of practice and repetition like the most annoying like the most annoying or uninteresting brief that a firm can get is for a project that's basically exactly the same as one they've done in the past they always want you know always want something new and different Um, but that actually runs a little bit against what you really kind of every firm should be trying to do, which is tighten up their positioning and try to wherever possible, get more experience in the same area, but everyone wants variety. And the good thing about this other perspective of the way that you're approaching it is that I can only imagine the variety that you must get on a day-to-day basis of different challenges. Absolutely. And I see, and the, the type of help that people want too varies. Like for some people, Uh, they are about to engage an architect and they actually want me to review that architect's fee proposal for them to see Mm. if it's legit or not. Yeah. So I do that sometimes. And as a result, I've seen, you know, I've now got a little cache of like 12 different architectural practices fee proposals. Mm. So I've got that kind of data that I can use as as a comparison. You've got that sort of weaponized intellectual property that you can use for whatever sort of, you could use it for good or evil. Yeah. Yeah. I have that power. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm just keeping it in my back pocket for the minute. Other people want me to help them like they finished their project and they want me to help do their defects list. So Mm. I've gone through and, and gone through with them for an hour and I see all the little quirks and things that can go wrong, you know, without it happening on my project, you know? Mm. I've Mm. got all this, like, scope of of info and data about, you know, building and renovating and stuff that I've kind of seen firsthand, but I haven't had to... I haven't had to be the one that's in there. Do you know what I mean? It sounds a bit odd, but but I'm just learning all the time. Yeah, and and that's what I I really would love you to get into a little bit more because I think having kind of 100 inquiries a year and 50 paying clients and different meetings and things like that, um, you see more clients than a a typical small firm will see in a decade, in a year. And the accumulated experience of that, I think, would give you some some insights that could be very, very interesting um, because I can imagine there are, there are probably some architects that have been in business for three years and they've only spoken to 20 people, um, mm. you know, in that in, or, or less in that, in that entire time. Um, so is there anything um, you mentioned that the renovations and the people that were, you know, people that you would typically consider as people who would go to an architect is kind of the, the core audience. Uh, what sort of things do they, uh, what sort of things concern them or what are their, what are their big, what are their priorities? Is there anything sort of surprising or unexpected that comes out of, you know, maybe that was a little, well, other things that are a little bit more surprising to you about what do they really care about? Cause we started this yeah. discussion on LinkedIn of like, what do people, you know, what yeah. do people care about? Um, mm-hmm. Potential, you know, architectural clients. Mm-hmm. Is there things like that that have stood out to you? Yeah, they, they, the thing that surprises me more than anything else is that they just don't get the process at all. They just don't get it. They just don't understand it. And the people that I'm dealing with are professional people. Like they're not dummies. They're people in, Mm. you know, high powered jobs or they're, they're doctors or they're lawyers or they're like 
senior corporate people. So they've got highfalutin jobs. They're really smart. Mm. And yet, I don't, what, do, what, do, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Help me. You know? <laughs> and the, there's, like you were saying before about the trust thing, like I really want to get an architect. Like I had a, a guy the other week and he had engaged an architect to give him a fee proposal and he was really keen on that architect's work because he'd seen all the pictures. He knew they were like a premium practice, you know, mm. so he was prepared to pay over the odds, but he just didn't know if they're like, are they, taking the mickey here you know or are they or, or is this legit and so yeah. i was able to give i was able to review the documentation he'd received i was able to compare it with you know this this database this small database that i'm building and show him what was what was standard what was expected what was you know whatever and he came back and he said all oh, right so i'm paying a small premium but I'm prepared to accept that because I know that these guys are a premium practice. So mm. it just gave him that level of confidence that he wasn't being done over. Yes, he was paying more, but he was happy to pay more because he knew that he was going to get a premium service. Mm. So, so the people don't understand the process at all. And this is where architects can really, I think, assist people by explaining the process to them and even when clients are in the process they still don't know what's going on you know yeah. i have i have a client at the moment and i'm doing her it's the world's smallest project we're building like six square meters of floor area it's tiny <laughs> um but it's going to change her life and change her house and change how her and her son live you know it's brilliant yeah. and we're doing it for less than 50 grand so you know this is a real challenge this is like i love this sort of stuff it's like doing the most you can with the littlest amount you have anyway yeah. by the by she yeah. was talking to another friend who's in the middle of a process and she said oh yeah and the architect said i had to pay this extra 20 grand for this extra set of drawings to make sure that we don't have a cost overrun but i don't know what that plan is and can you tell and what and it's like oh i think what they mean is that you know these people have got their da approved and they're now going to construction certificate and construction documentation but I just don't think they understand that that's, that's what it is. Like in architectural terms, that's, that's what we call it. And they're going, yeah. they're paying the 20 grand for the, for the full on documentation so that there's less chance of, you know, cost overruns on site, you know? So mm -hmm. that's what I think is happening. But the mm -hmm. way that it was communicated to me was such confused babble that it was like, mm -hmm. you, you really, you, like you're giving someone $20,000 and you're not even sure what you're spending that $20,000 on. Like that, that blows my mind. I don't have it, to spend 20 grand to just give someone because I think I should be doing it. You know, it's it really like reminds me. 20 grand with someone. I want to know yeah. what I'm getting for my money. It reminds me of when um, you drop your car off at the mechanic and they give you a call yeah. in the afternoon and tell you all the things you need. And then you call your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm your dad. And I'm goes, your dad. Yeah, you are. You are. You're like the, the, you're my architecture dad to tell me whether I do need that brake change and whether I do need the, you know, the, the spark plugs yeah. refitted or something. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, this, this is it. This is what you need, but it's kind of going, but what, but what is that? What do I need? I mean, I've learned that in my own business that, um, you know, in, as I do more and more consulting, I'm learning how important it is to stop at every point and go, do you do you fully understand like have i fully yeah. explained why this is yeah. important not just what yeah. you should be doing but why we're doing it like is yeah. so but i guess you know i 
Yeah. So, the, so that seems to be like a common thread that people feel that at the front end, there isn't that, re, there isn't that sense of reassurance. And economists talk about this idea that when you've got a service that you don't use all the time, and in fact, you might only use it once in your life and very yes. few people you know have used yes. it more than once in their life. And even then, their experiences hardly compare to yours. Um, you don't have the ability to actually cross-reference it with any information that tells you whether or not the service you're getting is um, you know, justified, legitimate, priced properly. Um, so that's a real common problem. I mean, how do you, in those conversations, how do you kind of address that? Do you just go, like, I'm a sort of an objective outsider, I'm a neutral kind of third party, uh, so you can trust this sort of what I'm saying here? Or, but how do you think an architect could sort of overcome that problem? Um, yeah, good question. Good question. For me, I tell people that this is my understanding given my experience in the industry and what, you know, what I know of to date. Also, mm. I tell people when it talks to, when we're talking about, because invariably it all comes down to money, right? You know, can we, yeah. can we do this? Can we afford this? So, you know, they, you're told at uni, oh, never, don't talk to people about money. And, you know, one of my previous architectural bosses, you know, one of his, my favourite phrases that he said once was, you know, we're architects, we don't talk about dirty things like money. So yeah. we're, we're kind of encouraged to take money out of the equation because it's, you know, we're above that, it's art. It's, no, no, it's money, right? <laughs> so, so, um. Yeah, I tell people this is this is based on on my experience to date. I also say, look, any number any number I give you will be wrong, because I'm mm. not I'm not building this thing for you. I'm not you know, I, even if they're asking me about the the fees of another architect, you know, I can't I can't tell them what they because I'm not them, but mm. I can tell them what is what is expected and what is standard and what is within a, a regular range you know, mm. and, mm. and anything that is outside this sort of regular range. And that, that range can be pretty broad as well, you know. So when, when people are asking me, oh, how much does an architect charge? I say, well, you know, on a, re on a residential project, you know, you can get for full service. And then I have to explain what full service means because people don't understand what that is. Um, you know, architects can charge anything from 8 to 15%. Now, a lot of mm. architects working on larger projects say, oh, I wish I could get 8%, you know, because on big commercial jobs, we're talking one and a half or less, you know. Mm. So, so the ranges, and even if you're talking about 8 to 15%, that's like, that's effectively double, you know, because 8, 16, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you, but you know that if someone's charging you a 30% fee, you're going, hang on a minute, well, you know, well, where'd that come from? Because that's not within sort of expected norms but whether it's you know whether it's 10 percent or 12 percent like that's within you know the expected range and then then you start to drill down a bit further okay what what am i getting for that and and whatever so yeah yeah there's i i couch it in those terms in terms of what is what in my experience is is the expected kind of range i also talk about square meter rates in terms of building because there's because of my experience in the corporation, um, I know what project home builders charge. I know what that is. And project home builder rates are significantly different from bespoke, you know, architectural rates. And then yep. there's what the per square meter rates were three years ago as, as opposed to now in Sydney, which, you know, in the last three years, things have just gone berserk. Yeah. 
So, mm. you know, I tell people, I try, I don't try to scare people, but I try to give them a bit of a reality check because often people think, you know, I've, I've got, you know, $150,000 to spend. Like $150,000 is a big amount of money, but it's not a big amount of money. And you have no. to kind of like explain to people what, you know, what you can buy for that and, and make yep. sure that they're really getting bang for buck. Like I had yep. a, a lady last week that I saw and she had all these ideas for her house and she's in, you know, out of suburban Sydney. So she didn't want to overcapitalize, whatever. And we, we broke it down into, okay, here's stage one. Here's like two things you can do. Spend 50 grand on these two things and it will change your life. Next mm. stage, we can do, you know, a couple of other things. You're probably spending another 50 grand and, and that'll be good. And then we had another bit where it was lotto. Like if she won mm. lotto, she could spend all this money and, you know, totally transform this house. But is it really worth it? And if she hadn't won lotto, would she do it? And my suggestion is I, I don't think you would unless you're rolling in cash. But mm. this, this stage one and stage two things, you do those and you can stage them in over time. So if you need to save up money, you can, you know, and yeah. even if you just did stage one, if all you did was that, you're totally going to add value to your house and change the yeah. way you live in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so, um, I, I find that, um, I do, I do occasionally talk to, um, talk to architects that have in the residential space or, or actually sometimes more often in interior design, um, yeah. that have absolutely nailed their pricing strategy. And yeah. part of that is that it is somewhat innovative in terms of how it breaks down their pricing, but it's also yeah. more, there's more discussion and more communication, more options and choices and more clarity. Um, yes. and the most common thread I find is that they've usually read um, Win Without Pitching by Blair Enns or they've read um, Burn Your Portfolio by Michael Janda. And they've, re- they've just read the people that come more from the graphic design and creative world, the kind of people yeah. that somehow charge, you know, $200,000 to design yeah. the Nike swoosh kind of world yes, um, yes, yes, yes. where it's about telling us... Exactly, where it's like really about the the story that you tell through your pricing um, and what pricing means to people and the psychology around it. And, um, you know, once you, if you focus on that area and focus on like how your clients think and you're not always just trying to elevate your pricing, but you're trying to give them realistic, practical choices where they can make decisions between do I kind of want the basic, the medium or the premium kind of thing um, can be extremely helpful. Um, yeah. but I guess it comes to a question of, I think, I think, uh, Warwick Mahaley brought this up once that sometimes the, uh, there's a sort of a stance that the architect knows better what's good for the client than what the client sort of knows for themselves. Um, and there's certain things that they don't value, the client doesn't value that the architect knows are very valuable. And how do you kind of think about reconciling those things so my, my gut feeling is that you don't lean towards the architect knows best um but what's your what's your take on it good question um there's a whole lot of architects that can know best and probably know better than me so i'll leave that to them mm. what i want to do is i want to tune into like really tune into what the client wants or what they think they want Mm. because often what they think they want and what they really want are two different things. Um, but you've got to unpack it a bit, you know, and, and get in there and work out what's really important. Um, and then 
you might still uncover something that they hadn't thought of. Mm. You know, they hadn't, hadn't thought of at all. And you introduce this as an idea and they go, ah, you know, and that when you do that, that's almost the architect knowing better than the client. But if you can bring it in in such a way that it's a refreshing idea rather than me telling you what to do. Like mm. I'm not interested in telling you what to do. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do what you want. Yeah. But if yeah. I can introduce, okay, have you thought about doing it this way? Ah, oh, we never even thought about that. Like that is the light bulb moment that I love. Mm. Mm. And then they can do, they can do what they like because I don't want to be responsible for every, for, you know, how people live <laughs> and how they, yes. like I, I can't be bothered. You know, yeah, <laughs> my exactly. own life okay. exactly. I'm struggling with that. You know? Yeah, I totally. Um, so to me, this is, you know, why the industry has a real disdain for sales. Um, sales oh, is ultimately yeah. about, persuasion and changing people's minds but it's as much mm -hmm. about going if you care about something more than your client does mm -hmm. you haven't been a very good salesperson in the in the fact mm -hmm. that you haven't actually commute told them a story that will change their mm -hmm. mind and make them feel the same way that you feel about it yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and i struggled with this for a long time and i asked sort of like a mentor i said look i'm trying to recommend things to my clients that they yeah. don't believe in and they don't care about and I'm really trying to tell them it will work for them and he's going well you need to get better at explaining why things are important part one but then part two is if it doesn't work you shouldn't care more about your clients than they do um yes. that's just going to end yes. in absolute tragedy yes. for you like you're not going to be able to sleep at night and wake up happy in the morning um yes. if you're exactly. going around yeah exactly so so there's a certain edge to where you go I'm responsible to a point but yes end of the day i mean i you know are you going to look back on a project a year later and go wow they're living in a house that i got a real win on that they don't value and they you know like what does it matter over the long well, term well they've sold because they had to sell it and they've moved on and you know and <laughs> now they some other like, random is living in there and yeah, like... yeah 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 um the thing when i worked for the corporation the thing I got a lot of exposure to that I didn't get exposure to in architectural practice was sales and marketing. Yeah. I saw firsthand how our marketing teams worked and how our sales mm. guys worked. And mm. I loved that space because this is, this is what in, I think in architectural education, we don't get at uni really. We mm. get a, we get a hint of marketing like we did about one semester of marketing and we just spent the whole term bloody designing our logo. Right. That's all we did. You know, it wasn't yeah. about, target market, ideal clients, <laughs> yeah. avatars. It was know, like making, I, I did that too. And I did this in yeah. two, architecture school in 2010 as part of uh, mm -hmm. uh, like in the, in the late, well, you know, in the, yes. in the 2010s making, it was like we were doing professional practice and one element yes. was marketing branding. And it was yes. like, name your practice, make your logo, yes. design your yes. invoice and your fee proposal. Mm -hmm. template. Yes. And it was like, it's like, what, what, what? <laughs> yes. It wasn't about who's your target market, what's the problem you're trying to solve, what's, mm. you know, all that real stuff that, mm. that really, like, what's your niche? Like, is your niche too, too wide, too broad? Like, niche, niche? Like, is that where you put the, the Ming vase, you know? <laughs> it's like, yes. you know, architects talk about niches, yes. it's holes in walls. It's not, you know, customers. Mm. Also, I make a, I, I call a lot of my customers customers, not clients. Mm. And that's, that's a distinction in my mind because the 
definition of a client is someone that you have a long-term relationship with mm. and the definition of a customer is is someone who like goes to a shop and buys something and may never go to that shop again like it's a one-off transaction yeah so for my, my customers start off as customers because i might just have a one-off transaction with them and then off they go see you later others turn mm. into clients and mm. we have that longer longer term thing mm. Is there any situation, as far as qualifying and disqualifying certain kinds of um, inquiries and leads that come into, into your business, what, what are you kind of attentive to? Is there, are you pretty, pretty open or to working in, with all kinds of situations or is it? Sure, sure. In the, um, in the first instance, because my, hmm. my sessions are a one hour, two hour session, whatever it is, there's not many people that I say, look, no you know, so I'm pretty open to that. But then within that session, within that hour or two you spend with someone, you know whether you're going to be working with them for a long time or not. Like mm. you can just, you can sense it. And I, I don't, it's not that I turn people away, but um, a lot of people will be fine without me. They don't need me, you know, yeah. and that's, that's okay. <laughs> like I'm totally yeah. fine if they just go off. Like this lady I saw last week, I doubt that I will see her again. And you know what? That's totally fine because she, we had a great conversation, you know, and she paid me for my time and like, that's it. That's all I need. And she, she will be right now with the, with the pointers that I gave her. So, um, initially I don't turn people away, but you know, in that session, then there's a whole heap of people that don't need to use me anymore and that's fine. Or there's other people that I then refer on to other people that I think would be better suited to look after them because yep. I know my limitations. I know what I can and can't do. And there's other people that I think sometimes would be, be a better fit for them and I will refer them on. And I have no qualms about doing that. And as mm. part of my business, I'm trying to get, and you might know about my little, you know, Q and R Facebook group, Yep. Um, there's that group that is purely architects and I want to keep that purely architects. That's, that's really defined, but there's other networks that I'm part of where I work with interior designers or, you know, color consultants or, um, landscape people or engineers mm-hmm. or builders or whoever. And so if people come to me and say, you know, can you help me with this? I'm, I may say, look, I'm not the right person, but here is the right person and be able mm-hmm. to, to, to refer them to, to someone that can better, better assist them. Yes. I think that, that, and even being upfront with people and saying, look, you know, I had some people contact me the other day and they're asking me about, you know, potentially advising on a, a heritage thing and, you know, what's my experience in heritage? And yes, I did work in a heritage practice for, for three years. And yes, I have worked with Inner West Council, uh, you know, on numerous um, DAs and stuff. So I know they're foibles. But if you want someone who's more heritage focused, I can also refer you to someone that I know that would be the perfect fit if, if you're going yeah. for, the, for the heritage thing. And I have no qualms about sending this person to that person if that's what they want because, you know, I trust their, their professionalism and their judgment and I know they do a good job for them. So it's yeah. for me in architectural circles, and you mentioned this before when you were talking about interior designers and stuff. I'm also in a few like interior designer groups um, and I find interior designers to be really like forthcoming and 
caring and sharing and wanting to, you know, they, they, they give each other advice on suppliers or, you know, who does trade mm. discounts or how they charge their fees or whatever. I find the architectural community to date has been quite guarded and there's a lot less knowledge sharing in, a, in an open yep. forum. Maybe that's just mm. me, who mm-hmm. I hang out with. I don't know. I mean, yes, I have architectural friends and, we, and we, we discuss these things, but just as a broader sort of community, like the next layer or two out of the onion, I find that very, very guarded. And I, yeah. I, I think if we are to promote the profession to the, to the general populace, because I think that's where the growth opportunities are, then we have to be a bit more open and a bit more sharing and a bit more, okay, I, I do it this way. And I, I, I don't, you don't have to do it the same way as I do it. You know, I, I don't mind if you do it an entirely different way, but it's, it's good to be able to bounce ideas around and, you know, what's, what's the best way of working with this person, you know, for me or for you or whatever. I think yeah. there's a lot of opportunity there to share knowledge because all my um, bosses, you know, to, I got my first architectural job in 1992 as a student and all my bosses to date have been sort of baby boomer kind of traditional architectural, you know, some black wearing, some not black wearing architects. Yep. And um, there's very much a, sort of the lone hero, the lone artist. And this, mm. this work is only good if I've done it. And if someone else has done it or who's not one of my mates, then it's a bit shit. And yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. see in the younger generation, you know, so architects who are now say in their forties or whatever, there's a, and younger, there's a much more collegiate kind of, there's a lot more promotion of each other's stuff. So mm. I think there is mm. generational change happening within the profession. And I'd encourage that because I, I think rather than the, the lone artist up there in the garret, you know, toiling away and nobody respects yes. me anymore, I would much rather be in the field of people bouncing ideas and bouncing different ways of working around, you know, yes. with each other to, to push us all forward. Yeah, definitely. Like I think um, every, I mean, all my experience of practice um, was most of the time, you know, the director and senior people weren't sitting on, you know, they weren't sitting on Facebook. They were sitting on Architecture mm-hmm. AU bagging out every other architect. Yes. Um, yes. And just going, oh, what a hack. Like just, yes. you know, yes. just being like. Bored with it super, super negative about other architects. Um, and I think that it has something to do with when you're not, di- when you're not differentiated and you're highly interchangeable, every single mm. person in your industry is your competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, weirdly, ane- like anecdotally, I mean, even on, you know, in the sort of consulting to architects world, you've, yes. <laughs> my, my little world, yes. you've got, um, you see all the regulars on LinkedIn. You've got mm. Um, mm. you've got the crew at Bowbird. You've got Nikita Morel. Mm. You've got mm. um, Revelator in in Canada. Like there's like yeah. seven people in the world, and yeah. we're yeah. and we all talk on the phone like fortnightly, yes. <laughs> and mm. just like you know talk shop or whatever. And I think a lot of architects uh, do that. But we're direct competitors in some sense. But we've also found even within this tiny little niche enough yes. difference between us that. We can happily yes. refer each other work where it doesn't fit properly. Yeah. Um, we yeah. can communicate and have fun. And like, so I think for a, a lot of architects, there's sort of, if they, I, I think, I think like sort of a, a takeaway from this call potentially. And I think what makes your business so interesting is that it's, and I know that you're not trying to 
in any way imply that every architect should be doing what you're doing. But for a lot of them, finding something like what you do is such a great alternative to the, to the standard practice Mm. grind that Mm. they might Mm. have had their heart set on when they were at uni, but Mm. increasingly they're, you know, that, that drive to become Peter Stuchbury um, or whatever is just, they're just like, Oh, it's not really heading in that direction. Mm. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing Mm. right now. And there's a lot of architects that are in that situation. So I think Mm. alternatives are really interesting and valuable. And there aren't that Mm. many in the industry for an industry with like 35,000 people in it at last Mm. sort of census. Mm. Um, There aren't a lot of people who are just niching out their thing, you know, Oh, what's that about? (laughs) Because, Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, when I tell people, you know, you're at barbecues or something, oh, what do you do? Blah, 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 that conversation. Yeah. I say, oh, yeah, I'm an architect. My, my business is not a standard architectural practice. Yada, yada, I have the spiel. And for, for like regular people that aren't involved in the industry, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, that's really useful. Oh, yeah, I know someone who blah, 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 and the conversation goes like that. Mm. When I tell architects at CPD events or, you know, some opening of something or whatever, well, I, I get the most suspicious looks, you know, like, <laughs> no, no, what are you doing? No, seriously, what, 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 when I, t- you know, I don't often do DAs. I do, I occasionally do DAs for people and yes, I have, but it's not stock in trade for me. Like the majority of people I see, I will not do a DA for. Like this year I've done four um, mm. out of my 50 people, you know. So, um, so then, then architect, you know, they look at me, you don't do DAs. So, so what, what do you do? You know, cause that's what we do. That's our bread and butter. That's, you know, and so they, they get very suspicious of me and think I'm, um, I don't know. I don't know what they think of me, but you know what? I don't care. Um, mm. cause I know what's working for, for me and my customers and, you know, I might just refer someone to them one day, even though they looked at me suspiciously, but if I think they're the right fit, you know, I'll give them their number and they can call it and take it from there, you know, and hopefully they'll be nice on the phone when the person calls them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, I see uh, there's opportunity there, but it's, it's not the standard. It's not the same old, same old. If it's the same old, same old, then we'll just all be sitting around going, Oh, nobody pays their fees anymore. And nobody respects architects. Yeah, that's actually a lot of, yeah, that's a, that's a very boring conversation. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, a more sort of, I think exciting aspect is that I would love to know more about kind of where you get your clients from these days, because it seems like the places that you're prospecting for, sorry, customers initially, then clients, if all goes well, um, It seems to be vastly, you seem to be looking in vastly different places from most architects who are essentially looking for their clients in magazines and broadcasting their shit on social media, but not really prospecting through social media. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your, I guess, your approach to putting yourself out there and that sort of thing? So I have, I'm a social media junkie. I love it. Love, 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 right? I, I have a Facebook page um, that's only got like 913 likes, so it's not thousands of people. 
I've got an Instagram profile that I have, I have neglected really badly. So don't look at my Instagram profile. I'm on LinkedIn. Hmm. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Pinterest, you know, whatever. Um, they all have their own quirks and their own foibles. So I have different audiences on each of those channels. So I tailor, so one thing that, you know, works on one doesn't work on another. And it, it's only when you start using them for a while that you understand the in, intricacies of, of each of them. So for example, on Twitter, um, I get a lot more engagement with other architects within the architectural community. So that's, that's more a professional kind of, and then mm. political, everyone's ranting about whatever. Um, mm. Facebook is where I get a lot of my customers from. And it's not mm. from my Facebook page because there's only 902 people. Mm. Um, no, no, sorry, 913. Yeah. yeah. Hardly anyone's in my post. But what I do on Facebook is I'm involved in a lot of groups. So there's mm. a lot of um, renovating mums groups and a few um, interior designer groups and a lot of other funny like business groups. Mm. And I just answer questions in there. So if someone, a lot of these renovating mum groups, it's like, oh, we've got this, you know, sewer line at the back of our house. They're telling us it has to be concrete encased. You know, what should we do? And, you know, I might answer that question. I only answer questions that I feel I'm qualified to answer. I won't, won't comment on everything. Yep. But... And invariably, it may not be the person that originally posted that question that will contact me. It is someone else that has seen my answer to that question and mm. they will contact me. Yes. Or I will have a, like a previous um, customer that may have, you know, someone's posted a question, oh, we're thinking about getting an architect, you know, but we don't know what to do. Someone will say, will tag me, call Jennifer Crawford, you know, go and talk to her. And I will get an inquiry that way. So my, yes. so I don't have to post. And on my Facebook page, I post maybe like once a week when, like when I can get around to it. Or if mm. I've got something really interesting happening, I'll, I'll post about that. And then when it's home show time, I'll just post like a crazy person. But um, it's more my interaction in the groups that gets real, um, real inquiry for me rather than just, you know, archiporn. Because the, the nature yes. of my work means that I don't have archiporn. Like I don't have a lot of fancy mm -hmm. pictures of, of beautiful, you know, concrete bench tops and polished concrete floors. Like I don't have that. So, you know, I, I work with what you've got. And so what yes. I've got is I've got a whole heap of knowledge and I can, and, and a sort of helpful attitude, I think. So I mm -hmm. help people where I can and yes. that's where they come to me. Yep. So I, I, I know plenty of architects that have, 20, 30, 40,000 Instagram followers and they put up plenty of good images and they don't get clients mm. through social media. Um, and they it's, say, oh, it's a waste of time. And yeah, I can't, they say it's a waste of know. time. So yeah. where, where we try to discuss things with, with them is around more what you're saying, which is the interaction, the engagement, yeah. answering questions, yeah. being helpful, yeah. being friendly. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the real common complaint is, oh, that sounds like a lot of time and hard work. And it's like, yeah, nothing that works is easy, right? Like yeah. hard work is yeah. part, of the, yeah. <laughs> part of the thing. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. I think, super fascinating to people because you mentioned some platforms where they are actually the bottom of the list of what architects typically care about. It's usually yeah. Yeah. Print, print first, online publication yeah. second, Instagram yeah. third, yeah. awards fourth, because they're yep. sort of lower yield. Um, and then we start getting into 
no Facebook, no Pinterest, no, yeah. oh, maybe they'll sign up for house. Maybe, maybe they'll do that. But, but, yeah. uh, but like, you know, anything where people are and discussion is happening, they're not yeah. interested because it's not, it doesn't yeah. revolve around pictures and portfolio. So, that's uh, where the you, fun is for me. That's where the fun is. That's I where the fun is. That's where the expert, that's where you actually sell a taste of your expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. In, that's what you're really yeah. doing there on Absolutely. Facebook and in those groups. Yeah. Absolutely. And a few of my architectural friends, again, look at me suspiciously and say, Jen, you give away too much for free. I'm like, well, the stuff that I'm giving away on Facebook or whatever is in the public realm. It's not like, it's not my IP necessarily. It's just stuff that I know, but it's stuff that a lot of people know, you know? Yes. So it's just part of a conversation. Like if someone asked you on the street, Oh, what do you think? Like it's that level of conversation, you know? Yes. So I'm not, I'm not, I give, give a little, get a lot, you know, <laughs> I'll give a little, and someone yeah. else will call me and say, well, I saw what you did for them. So can you do that for me? And, yes. you know, I'll pay you. So, so <laughs> so, they're, they're basically paying you for context, right? They're just yeah. going like, that was, that was, that was a, this advice that you gave without context. I need it with context. I pay for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And that seems, yeah. Uh, so this is, well, I'm so fascinated with this because so so many firms are struggling to think about, you know, uh, struggling with the idea of I have, they understand that in the sort of modern, modern economy as an expertise based business uh, that isn't yes. just a commodified um, because it's, you know, because to a large extent, the sort of design and stylistic elements, everyone knows that those are kind of, it's really hard to stay on top of that mm. game. Um and that, so we go, okay, we have ideas, we have expertise, we want to sell that, we want to be valued for that, we want that to be respected uh, and all of those kinds of things. And this, so there's this way, this way of you actually distributing the, those ideas is very, um, it's very different and mm. it sounds like it's extremely effective. Mm. Well, I, I don't think I'm that odd really, but that's, this is just the way, <laughs> this is just the way I'm doing it. So, I mean, yeah. The challenge for me has been in the last couple of years because I'm doing this small bite stuff is getting mm. enough bites. And I'll mm. be frank, you know, there's the majority of architectural practices out there will be making more money than me. Like I'll be frank, you know, but I see myself at a tipping point now that I'm looking, really looking forward to next year because I'm starting to get a momentum now that is starting to make it, you know, self-sustaining yes. and, and, yes. you know, so all good things take time, right? Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. I've been in the, you know, in the doldrums for, <laughs> for a little while going, what the hell am I doing? You know, am I just yelling into the abyss? You know, <laughs> is anybody actually listening to this stuff? And it's, um, it's now got to a point where, where people, you know, I think are actually listening and, and more people are coming to me. And, and most of my customers now, I do not know from Adam. Like I have no connection to them whatsoever. And I love that, you know, because they're mm. not a friend of a friend. They're not, you know, my brother's, you know, girlfriend yeah. or they're not, you know, they're not yeah. family. So it's the next, it's the next layer of the onion. So I love it that complete strangers are getting to me because it means that something I'm doing must be working. Yes. And the, the frequency of them now it has confirmed to me that yes, you know, and it's not far away from being, you know, from being a, an ongoing and, you know, fruitful exercise. 
but mm. uh, you know, I won't sugarcoat it. It's it hasn't been easy, but yes. you know, it's you know, these things take work, yeah. <laughs> and this well, is the work well, that I've been well, doing. So yeah, and and yeah. the the basis that you have is that you're optimizing more for profitability than just revenue. Yes. I mean, like you don't yes. need to hire eight people under yes. you to no. achieve the workload no. kind of thing. No. Um, no. There are plenty of firms because, that don't make any profit. I, yeah, because I, I, don't, I travel to my clients, so I don't have an office space at the moment. I'm looking at maybe moving into a co-working space because my husband's sick of my drawings all over the dining room table. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have huge overheads. I don't, you know, I can travel really lean and really light. I just have my computer, my phone, you know, my brain, my yellow trace, and I'm good to go, you know? So keeping it that lean means that I can, you know, keep prices at, at, at a place where people can afford them. And I'm not also this thing of, you know, working with only a few clients, you know, you might have three, you might have four, whatever. What if one of those clients goes rogue and you lose like 25% of your income like yep. overnight, you know, cause they've just vanished mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That scares me more than, you know, if I have one, one person out of 50 that hasn't paid me, by the way, they all have, um, mm. You know, it's it's like it's not such a big deal as having you know a, a six-figure invoice outstanding, you know, which I've mm. heard of in real life. So that mm. sort of stuff scares me more than than trying to get new customers. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, as a as a person who's my peer group of people I graduated with are in that early stage of their career in practice. Um, Hiring and firing and churn and redundancies are oh, super, hard. super, super widespread. <laughs> like, that is hard. That um, is hard. Stop. I'm always having to get updates from people on like who just lost their job, who just got a job. Yeah. It's just, it's never ending. And it's because of that, that thing of having clients that are 20, 30, 40% of your revenue that just yes. put it on hold overnight. Um, yeah. And that, but that's real life. Like that happens all yeah. the time because you know, someone's got a new job all of a sudden overseas, so they're not doing the house now because they're moving to Singapore, you know, mm. or they've just, like, they're getting divorced or, you know, like all these things in life happen and that is mm. real life. So, but, you know, I've worked in enough practices and I've seen enough projects worked on and the, the number that get built is such a tiny proportion for a yes. myriad of reasons and it's not because the architecture was bad. It's not because the project was not a good project. The project was a great project and then life happened, you know? Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, the, the, and it's not uncommon for a project that seems to be going swimmingly all of a sudden overnight just to vanish. And, mm-hmm. you know, if that's half your, half your practice, well, half your practice has to vanish. And that, mm-hmm. yeah, that sort of, that scares me more than, than my little bites of stuff. So thinking about the stages that um, an architecturally designed project happens through. um, So uh, are people, are people invoicing much before concept design? Is that just like a, is there anything going on there? Do people make, are firms making any money whatsoever before, before that stage? Or more importantly, are they dedicating any time? Because going back to your point about, really having those front end conversations and it's yeah, not just yeah, happening yeah. in a couple of one hour meetings. It's going to be yeah. quite a lot of decisions to be made before you yeah. even start. Yeah. Um, yes. Is that an area that's maybe being neglected, not only for the clients, like there's obviously a huge benefit to investing a lot of time there, 
but um, <coughs> helpful for a firm as well, it would seem, to, to, yeah. to be able yeah. to weight more of their fees towards that stage. Because there's this idea that like projects seem to drop off after... Uh, there's a there's a f- high frequency of projects dropping off after concept or you know after da or whatever uh and then the firm ultimately didn't end up making very much money yes. whatsoever yes. and it causes yes. a bit of a fiasco um yes. are there, are the, there firm, yeah, is there room yeah. for investing more at the front end of that pro- of the projects or it, like from your knowledge of like just the industry yes, yes. absolutely i think so um but the challenge with that is making sure that the customers understand what they're getting for that money. Mm. Um, arguing that as a value proposition, you know, to what, what the actual value, like what am I paying for? Um, you know, because, yeah. and quite a few, you know, my little sort of random database of fee proposals, um, a lot of, quite a few of those charge for pre-designed services, which is, you know, the site investigation, looking at the council regs, you know, getting a feel for what, you know, before concept design, like getting your base set up. So they do charge for that, whether they invoice for that at the time or, you know, and there's this whole thing too about, and this is sort of related, deposits. Um, mm. A lot of interior design practices charge deposits um, a lot of graphic designers charge deposits, you know, it's yep. quite common. But actually within the, the code of practice, the architect's code of conduct, it specifies in there that if you are charging any deposit, it's a maximum of 10% of the overall fee. Mm. Um, now, if you're charging a hefty fee of $100,000, say, 10% of that is ten grand. like that's a good chunk of money. Mm. But if you're charging like a thousand dollars ten percent of that fee is a hundred bucks you know mm. whatever so it does say in the code that unless otherwise agreed so yes there is scope for agreeing that but the fact that that ten percent sits there that any client can read is kind of they would i would think that they would then question if someone's charging more of a deposit you know why why are they doing it i don't know i, I think that is something within the code that could be revisited or or looked at or addressed or at least discussed like you know Mm -hmm. what is this what are we trying to achieve um and there's other people that charge like an actualization fee or mobilization fee or something like that to get a project started because you know there's there's nothing more frustrating than than burning them you know the midnight oil and 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 going hell for leather on this, this design that you, once you've started, you can't get out of your head because you're obsessing about it. Cause that's what we do. Yep. And then, you know, putting that forward and not getting paid for it. Like, and all that, mm. all that effort and all that angst has, has gone unpaid, unrewarded. That's, that's not nice. But because architects traditionally don't talk about dirty things like money, it's actually, I find it kind of doesn't matter what the number is as long as you're up front with people like, you know, so that they can get their head around how much they're paying, then, then we can move on to the next conversation, you know, because we've got the money out of the way. But a lot of, a lot of times the money is this cloudy, misty kind of unknown, uncertain thing. And that's, that makes everybody nervous because the architect is like, well, you know, I charge this as, this is my fee, but the client doesn't know that, 
they're getting a good rate because, you know, you've, you've been a bit nervous when you were putting the fee proposal together. They still think it's a lot of money. And so, you know, it gets, it all gets a bit murky. I think there's a, as well with a lot of architects and some of the fee proposals I've seen, a lot of the majority of the fee is still tied up in documentation. That's like mm-hmm. 40% of their fee is documentation. Now, I don't know how many jobs actually go to full documentation, but it's not a huge proportion, I would suggest. So mm. whether there's that, that way of rejigging your fee structure so that it's more um, heavier weighted up front, but then as well you've got to be able to argue the value proposition of ha- spending that mu- amount of money up front um, and, yeah, to make sure that you get, you get paid appropriately for, you know, the intellectual property that you bring to a project. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that there's any, are there any parts of being an architect that are somewhat that, that code of conduct that are somewhat burdensome to you or have kind of limited your ability to think outside the box with your business model? Um, you meant, you mentioned, um, deposits yeah, as a particular area. Deposit. Yeah. Um, not so much, not the deposit thing is the one that immediately comes to my mind, but Mm. like I would be, you know, happy to have a conversation at some point with other architectural folk about, you know, what's included in the code of conduct. And if it's still totally relevant to our current market, you know, Mm. and our current and the ways technology and, and whatever is, is going. I mean, I'm, I outsource my CAD work, right? This, this is mm. an anathema to most architects. What, what do you mean you don't, you know? I hate, I've used five different CAD systems. I've, I've never loved any of them. I'm, I'm a bit of a CAD numpty. Like I'm not a technology numpty. I'm pretty good with, like give me the Adobe suite and I'm all over it. But, you know, the CAD stuff, I'm just slow and, you know, my drawing, like they don't, they don't look pretty. Give me a, give me a yellow trace and a couple of art lines and I'm, I'm there, you know, I'm at a hundred miles yep. an hour, but I know my limitations. And so I will often, you know, hand draw and all my concept designs for people are hand drawn um, to scale, but hand drawn. And then I will pass it over to someone who is far quicker and more efficient at CAD stuff than me. And they can spend, you know, a couple of days whipping that up into a DA set that I can then, because I'm off talking to other people about new projects, you know, they can, I can pay them to do the CAD stuff for me and then, you know, bring it to the client. And they're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. It's like no skin off my nose, you know? Yeah. So I think there's, there's, there's a bit of a mindset about what an architect is and what an architect does and what skills you have to have. And this is why I get looked at suspiciously. What do you mean you don't do DAs? What do you mean you don't do your own CAD stuff? What are you, what are, what are you doing? You know, there's a, lot, there's a lot more to architecture than just drawing lines on a computer. You know, there's a hell of a yeah. lot more. And so if I can pay someone and they're quite happy to do it, to draw the lines on the computer, I'll check the lines. I'll make sure that they're the right lines that they're drawing, you know, mm then that mm. frees me up to do a whole heap of other stuff that is still part of the architectural process. Mm. Yeah. So there's sort of, uh, it's not so much codified restrictions on people. It's more of just mm. a, a, a peer pressure or 
Um, an element of that? Yes, yes. There's, there's a sort of a feeling of there's just a status quo to it and you, you just, yes. you stick to it and you maintain it and you believe in it yourself. And yes, yes. Yeah. And so, so often architects will say to me, yeah, but what you do, it's not architecture, is it? I'm like, well, you know, maybe not, you know, depends, right? Well, depends how you, how you yeah. define it. Yes. Yes. So I, I really don't care, but I, I'm not about to be published in, you know, XYZ magazine, <laughs> you know, but, you're not doing an L croquis on you. Yeah, no. this, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting as seeing as from looking at it from the marketing perspective, you've got one service on one one way of one definition of architecture on one hand that's really staging every conference and conversation around why are we struggling so much against mm-hmm. another form that seems to be potentially if done right. Um, bringing in more clients than you can possibly handle over time. Um, And there's just looking at that objectively and going one way of doing it seems to be a better fit um, with the market than another. Or, or, you know, I don't know, that might be just sort of a way of uh, a way of looking at it, but yeah, just it, 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 it seems like there's a lot of, there isn't a lot of conversation that goes on in the industry. Um, going back to that thing about there isn't a lot of a collegiate atmosphere. Um, there, there's sometimes a discussion of architects overseas who practice a little bit differently or they work a little bit weirder than everyone else does. And we sort of invite them along to a conference and they share their perspective, um, like assemble, uh, assemble studio in, in the UK and just, you know, various other people that are doing stuff that's, um, the actual business model is, is quite different. Um, but, but then it's just not sort of, it's just not sort of done. It just doesn't come to life in, in the industry. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed by it. <laughs> I think, well, I'm not, I'm I think not, all it. hope is not lost because there are some amazing things happening. Like the whole Nightingale housing model is just like full on. That is brilliant. You know, more power to them. We need, we need that. And then Oliver Steele with his, his passive house, you know, apartments that he's just done in Redfern. I mean, that, that level and it's, it's, it, but the people that are doing those projects are assuming the role of more the developer so, and, mm-hmm. and resting the power back because there's, there's all this, you know, stuff, you know, architects wailing and gnashing of teeth about, oh, how architects have we've fallen down the consultant list. You know, we used to be the top consultant, you know, and now yeah. we're down under the project managers and we're under the thing and the thing and the thing, you know. And like yeah. we're just we're just above the you know the I don't know the bathroom the, guy the whatever rookie. I don't know yeah. but yeah. so well okay have a look have a look at your business model and have a look at what you know what services you are offering and have a look at what what's being demanded out there and you know I, I think Nightingale is, is just is just brilliant I would I would love to be you know a part of that somehow but I doubt it will happen but you know more power to them I love their work and there's mm. other people that are doing more stuff in the prefab space and the passive house space and, you know, all these sorts of things. And I think that's, that's great. And I think we need more of it, you know, and we just, we just have to, and someone tweeted last night about, you know, is, is architecture ready for revolution? And I'm not sure architecture is ready for revolution, but it's ripe for disruption. Like there's so much, you know, mm. opportunity, like things can't just go the way they've always been because we'll just sit in a room just whinging all the time. 
So we've mm. got to look at different ways, different models, different different things too. Because the 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 desire is there. I think there's more desire for architectural input in stuff than there ever has been amongst regular, like the yes. regular population. Mm. So it's like the hunger is out there. We've just got to be able to feed it in a way that they want to eat it, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm always like sort of bashing on about that. You know, people are probably so bored of it. <laughs> like, I'm so bored of it. I am concerned about like, you know, there's a point where if they're not, if, if they're not sort of engaging with it the first time you bring it up, you're probably saying, saying it the wrong way. But um, uh, there's, a, there's also a lot of excuse making, I think, that goes on, not to, not to keep it fully negative. Um, there's this idea of you can point to the exceptions to the rule, like things like Nightingale that are done really well. But then, yeah. then an architect will just go, yeah, but something, something about the banking commission, nobody can get mortgages. It's like, so there's always some other thing to point your finger at. And there's always a third party or a not non-specific examples, but just a general atmosphere of, um, of in some way society is repressing the architecture industry. Um, yeah. that I just find a bit, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit, there's like, there's certain cards out there that people just pull about why it's impossible for an architect to get a break. Um, and I just don't see that at all. And I really like the way you're focusing on those, those examples. Um, and I think even going, going back to sort of Rory, uh, Rory Hyde's, uh, book, uh, something of practice some it was it was about just different people doing different different ways of being architects and seeing it in different ways and different things yeah. about doing unsolicited projects and yeah. and even a podcast i had with um, matt goodman about how he uses instagram and then sort of creates things speculatively and then basically finds a market for a design and then finds the client to fit it kind of thing and it's like there's so many different things you can try but the internet and it has changed the way people can access uh, architecture Absolutely. and architects in a very, very, very positive way. Yes. My business would not exist without the internet. I no. could just, it just wouldn't exist at all. So mm. I'm heavily reliant on that. And that's why getting the NBN on at home makes me very nervous. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, definitely technology and the access to technology and, and communication, different methods of communication is key. And you know, when I was at uni in the 90s, there was still the thing of, well, you go and join the local Rotary Club and that's where the source of your clients will be. It's like, it's not like that anymore. Yeah, you know? or you put your um, you put your site board up and, you know, or whatever mm. with, your, with your details on it and you get your business cards printed. And I still have, I still get some sometimes older architects that talk to me about how I ask them, you know, what they're doing what, the, what they're yeah. sort of focused on with their marketing at the moment and they'll talk about how they're getting new business cards designed yeah. and that sort of thing. And yeah, the, the yeah. internet has kind of changed it. And on that, on that point, is there anything that you're thinking about doing um, to, to sort of take things to the next level, I guess, for you? Um, yeah. Anything around sort of like video or webinars yes. or any, any of that digital um, marketing type of playbook stuff? Yeah. All, all of, that has been on my to-do list forever. <laughs> yeah. I just haven't got around to it. And, yep. you know, one of the things that we haven't really talked about um, today is SEO and mm. the, 
and the impact that that has on things. So, yes, I have a website. Um, no, I'm not like it, it does the job, but it's not in my head. My website is far more fabulous than it is in real life. So mm. in the new year, I'm actually going to be building myself a new one that is um, SEO optimized and stuff because yep. that like the Google gods, um, you know, I don't know if you follow Kate Toon. I'm a Kate Toon devotee. I love her. No, I don't, I don't know Kate, oh Kate my, Toon. <laughs> oh, my God. This is a whole new world, Dave. Yeah, there um, we go. <laughs> Kate, Kate Toon is an SEO um, person. She started out as a copywriter. She started out in advertising and then uh, had her own copywriting business and now is like queen of, of SEO. She mm-hmm. has her own SEO courses and all that sort of stuff that she does, but she is also brilliant. She's written a couple of books and she's brilliant at building community and that mm-hmm. whole like sense of community and online community. She like, she's yep. the queen of that. Yep. Um, this is kind of what I've tried to do with my little Q and arc group is foster that sense of community, you know, within an online space with, you know, and get that more yep. collegiate thing, thing going. Um, so yeah. And as part of that, part of my website and getting it SEO friendly, it's actually publishing more information, more useful information for people about, you know, building and stuff and then potentially getting onto video. I mean, I have a bit of an issue with, you know, I don't know if anyone wants to see my Vizog on (laughs) video, but you know, um, that, that will, will take place. I mean, the, the person that has done that brilliantly and who I aspire to, to, to be um, undercover architect Amelia Lee at undercover architect yeah I mean, she, she is guessed it. And, and <laughs> she's so annoying because every idea I come up with Amelia does it the next day and yes. I'm like shit she's done it again <laughs> so we have actually spoken a number of times I'm a big I'm a huge fan of hers our our business trajectory is kind of similar in except that she has done it so much better than me. So mm-hmm. she's now mm-hmm. launched into the US and has courses on sale, you know, for people in the US, about 15% yep. of who are is in the US. She's yep. got podcasts. She's got everything. Like she, she yes. is the queen of all of that. So, so if I could be 20% as good as Amelia Lee, you know, I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that area of marketing um, and what's interesting that the two of you basically do and I think if people want to sort of work out where you sit in things it's that you're you're basically marketing architecture architectural services the way yes. people who market educational products sell them yes. um yes. courses masterminds webinars and that's like a very at the end of the day that is a very very murky area of digital marketing because it's an area that's there's a lot of um the reason that it it, it is a generally a pretty sketchy area of marketing is because the techniques and tactics that have sprung up in there have basically mastered the idea of selling things online and expensive things. Um, And that doesn't mean that I wouldn't necessarily recommend an architect to get into the idea of selling a $15,000 course on like how to design your own home. Uh, I don't necessarily love that, but I think that everybody can learn from the strategy that are used in that area that work extremely well. Um, Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. And mm. it's, yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's not like even when you said that selling a $15,000 course on how to design it, that made me wince. I'm like, Ooh, no, that's not quite right. Yeah. And that's not what Amelia's doing by the way. But um, yeah, but getting, 
um, you know, information, accessible information out to the right people at the right time at the right price, you know, and, and how you reach that audience and stuff is like is huge. And that as a, as a profession, that is what we don't do very well at all. Mm, mm, and mm. I think we can learn a lot from that sort of Exactly. Space, yeah, absolutely. Because that, that industry is oftentimes they've mastered the, the front end and the sale and the communication yes. and the knowledge sharing. Yes. But yes. what they often lack is the substance to yes. back that up. Absolutely. But I think going into an industry like architecture where all we have is substance and we're just not very yes. good at selling it and communicating yes. it and sharing it, um, yes. there's a lot to learn from, from yeah. that area. And the, and the idea of thinking about how do you treat leads? How do you have a funnel? How do you yeah. write your copy in a way that it's emotionally resonant? Like all of yeah. this stuff, but also yeah. the community side of things. It's like, how does, how, how does establishing a community and a fan sort of, I would say almost like a fan base, but a community is yeah. the right word. People that are, yeah. you, you make yourself very accessible to them. You do it at scale. Yeah. They can talk to each yeah. other. You know, that, yeah. that whole approach is, part and parcel of that thing and it's not just you yes. sort of you're not broadcasting yes. things one you like one directionally there's a, there's a yes. a back and a forth going on um yes yeah i think the changes to your website will be kind of quite interesting but you you touched on sort of seo as well so that's something that you're you're conscious of so what's your what's the goal what's the idea that you want to start ranking for more answers to questions and things like that the sort of things that you've been seeing pop up again and again on facebook and yeah so i yeah yeah, so i would look at you know i don't necessarily want to rank for architect sydney you know i don't care about that Mm -hmm. but you know i don't know um how do i make my house warmer in winter or something like it's all about long tail long tail stuff yes you know and and all of that. And I know about this conceptually, like I know what it is, but I haven't done the work yet. But mm. this is like for 2019, I want to get into this and, and get more. And also there's a, there's a bit of um, information overload out there. Like if, if you're Googling for stuff, there's a lot of stuff out there. And so it, mm-hmm. it, it becomes more about filtering, you know, and what's, what's right for me rather than just consuming everything that's out there because if you just try and consume everything that's out there you just go nuts because there's just so much stuff so it's it's trying to find the right stuff and you know for people so i uh to give a real specific kind of practical example of that you know i'll i'll often talk to clients about how you know for every person searching sydney architect there's probably like 10 in sydney searching architect fees for example you know there's a much yes. larger high intent yes. in market sort of queries out yes. there. And if I put architect fees into Google, um, yes. I see firstly, no surprises, undercover architect, how much do architects yes. charge and why do they charge yes. percentages? Yes. I then yes. see Wolf architects who are an article on understanding architects fees. What does it all yes. cost? Yes. And then nest architects and going further down the page is one of my clients who is at the bottom of first page. But I know from looking at their Google analytics that they get over 5,000 visitors a month through, through their article on architects fees. Yes. And it doesn't have a ton of backlinks. It doesn't have, they haven't gone through 
the there's a, something in SEO which is the eight basically the eighty twenty principle um, yes. that you know you spend twenty percent of your time creating the content and eighty percent of your time promoting it and that's how you yes. start to gain that SEO advantage. But yeah. she hasn't um, this this client hasn't done that. But it's just by yeah. being one of the few people writing about it. Yeah. who Google can understand has authority as an architect yeah. because they're being yeah. linked to from architectural publications. They're rising yeah. to the top of that search query. So there's so many different examples like that where you could almost go through your, your complete, uh, I mean, where do, you even, where do you even stop with these things? I guess it's just about working them all out and kind of trying to use the free tools that are out there to identify how much search yeah. traffic they get. But but yeah, that's, I mean, so that's an area that you're kind of thinking about at the moment, a bit more of that SEO content yeah. marketing type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then for and then, you. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. No, go on. No, I was just going to say, and then like getting into, you know, mailing lists and all that sort of crap as well. Um, Cause I haven't, you know, I haven't really focused on that. I, I know it's, you know, I'm told it's a good thing to do, but whether mm-hmm. I, you know, it's not about newsletters and whatever, but, you know, whether it's a little tip of the day or whatever, it's just that whole top of mind stuff. Oh, yes. I think, you know, we, we call her, you know, we know who to call. Exactly. So, so I, I, I'm interested to ask you to sort of explain the email marketing side of things a little bit better because um, my clients haven't followed the same they haven't read the same things you've read and watched the same videos mm. you've watched that give you mm. the understanding that you've got about email and the purpose of it. But mm. why, I and mean, this is a real question that I get all the time. Why is it in your interest to collect people's email addresses when they're on your website? <clears throat> well, there's a whole, there's a whole different things and it depends on what you read as to which numbers they use or whatever. But apparently it takes like anywhere between like seven and 14 touch points before someone actually decides to um, buy from you and make that like the actual purchasing decision. I am going to buy from you. Mm -hmm. So the whole, and everybody is on, I find the email marketing thing a bit tricky in my mind because everyone is on a billion lists for everything and everyone is overloaded with email all the time. Mm. So the, the thing for me is, and it's that, yeah, it's that top of mind thing. It's like, yep. so that people first think of you, if they're doing something, they know who to call and it happens to be you. Um, and, and it's, again, it's building that trust. It's building that friendly face, building that, you know, that they know you and they feel comfortable to call you and they're not scared to call you. So it's, it's building up that and, and that you're sharing information that is useful to them and, and of value and, and that's a good thing. So it's, it's all those things. But at the same time, it's not bombarding people with too many emails that, oh, you know, that people want to unsubscribe and I don't need this shit in my life, you know. So, so it's a very, it's a delicate balancing act of, of getting in contact enough and it might be, I haven't decided myself how frequently that is. Um, whether that's weekly, whether that's monthly, whether that's even quarterly or something like that. I had one lady that I went to see years ago, you know, I was the customer and she was a color consultant. She does like uh, for like for your clothes and stuff. And she does like a seasonal update, you know, and that's how she keeps in contact with her clients. And so it's just four times a year. So whether it's Mm. something like that, and I I haven't got that clear in my head exactly how that's going to work best for me, but I don't want to be bombarding people with emails that they don't want. But, you know, when there's a new product that comes out that could be useful or there's a new, or, you know, there's some change in building regulations that actually affects people that, you know, they might care about or, 
you know, something like that. I think sharing that information is useful. So you become the expert, you become the point, the source of knowledge and you become the trusted advisor and then people will call to you when they want stuff. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that was it. Rule, rule of seven is exactly it. That's the biggest yeah. challenge. Um, people, uh, for people to get their heads around is that people don't become your customer the first time they visit your website. Um, no, it's a, that, that whole, you know, people use the analogy of dating, you know, the first time they meet you, they're like, will you marry me? Blah! You know, yeah. it's like, do you want a coffee? You know, do you want to, do you want a drink? Do you want to go out for dinner? You know, it's all of that. So yeah. It's, it's building that over, over time. And then yep. eventually you get to, will you marry me? You know? Yep. It takes yeah, absolutely. So you're, you, you're, as you implement more of these things that you're creating more steps um, and escalating levels of, or hurdles of trust requirement where it should take a very, very, very small amount of trust to do whatever action you're getting people to do on your website. And then you just increase the bar over time to the point where they're coming in that you're going to their house for a meeting as a, as a strategist and as a consultant. And then from there, maybe it goes to more significant services and then maybe it's full services, but at each level you're providing value and you're establishing more trust and you're able to then over the right period of time and getting the timing right so that it's relevant for the, the audience, you're giving them an offer to a a deeper service. And that makes a a lot of sense. And you've got that pipeline and then there's, you could have, you could have thousands of people at the top end of the pipeline. When, when you start getting into the kind of the content marketing side of things, I mean, the sky's the limit really. Um, But yeah, so that's, so that, so I think that's in, that's instructive for, for people because, um, you know, you've got, you've got basically options to just kind of learn about you and contact you at the moment, but, uh, you're, you're kind of looking to maybe take that down to something a little bit, a little bit simpler for, for you right now to yeah. improve, to improve ultimately at the end, the sort of the payoff at the end of the day of more of those kind of meetings and more of those customers. Yeah. I've that just, makes you know, I've just got to get my act together. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think that you'd be looking at where can you possibly, this is just getting less into podcasts and more into kind of giving a suggestion, I guess. Um, yes. But I think that even just like while you're trying to making up your mind about your, you know, what you do as far as collecting email, even the idea mm. of just sending people an intro email where they link to where they groups that they should join on Facebook videos mm-hmm. that they should watch articles that they Mm -hmm. should read so it's just kind Mm -hmm. of an evergreen you get this when you when you leave your email um Mm. there's a there's a venture capitalist in uh in america who does this really well his name is andrew chen and he's a very well-known blogger in the in the technology space and his he he has one of the largest um email lists in I believe North America. <laughs> like it's really, wow. really big. Like wow. for like a blogger and somebody who's just mm. independently kind of creating content. And so the mm. way that he gets leads, uh, sorry, not leads, but the way that he gets email signups works and it's very effective and it stems from mm-hmm. his content. Um, mm-hmm. And then the way he deals with that, with those leads and sends them more content to get them reading more things and speaking to you and watching stuff cool. and collecting it all mm-hmm. together so that rather than, because there's one way of looking at it, which is the rule of seven happening on maybe a month to month or quarterly basis over the period of a year or two. 
-hmm. but you could actually get multiple touch points from somebody within the first kind of couple of sessions of them visiting you if you're sending them to various different kinds of content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, so this broadly applies to a lot of architects as well because they might have just brought out a project that is kind of new and it's getting a lot of excitement, but we look at the analytics of the rest of their portfolio and 80% or more of the work that they've done over the last five years, nobody is ever looking at it. It basically mm-hmm. might as well not be on their website, not exist. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it can be useful to actually go you like this so also here's this case study you wrote about this project here's an interesting interview with our client from this one and you start going over your older mm. project creating new content around your old projects yeah 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 because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's just this idea i think of you know people uh firms firms are just they just they're always on this on this um hamster wheel of just churning through new projects yeah. and yeah yeah. Sometimes you don't need that many projects in your portfolio. No. You just yeah. have three or four really good ones and you provide a lot of content around them. And this is, this is where I come back to Kate Toon again. She is like excellent at recycling a lot of her content. So she might have um, blog posts and stuff that she did like six years ago and she might repost them on LinkedIn or something like that. They're mm. still relevant. You know, they're not, they're not outdated. Like they're, you know, they're still relevant today, but she hasn't had to come up with a new idea every single day. You know, she's got a bank of stuff that, and it's, it's a bit like when I was at uni, we had um, Ian Moore, the architect, come in one day um, in a construction lecture and talk to us about detailing. Now, if you, you're going to Ian Moore, you're going for an Ian Moore house, right? So there's a particular yeah. aesthetic, particular thing. Great. And what he talked about was that he had this little, this is the days before, like he was still drawing on paper, I think, at that point. Um, he had a, a drawer of all his details on A3 sheets, you know, standard, standard details. And he'd bring this detail out and he would see if it applied to this particular situation. If it did, you know, great, we use it. If it didn't, we adjust it, we, we add it, whatever. We place it back in our little magical A3 detail box. And we come up with a library of you know there might be 150 details in there they're all they're all based off a similar sort of base and they're they're consistent with the Ian Moore aesthetic but like all of it like you're not reinventing the wheel every single time I see a similar approach to like information and blog content and all that sort of stuff you end up with this bank of stuff that you can reuse and yes you can tweak slightly yes you can you can piggyback off it you know and Gary Vee is like one of those guys that you know takes one yep. video and makes like 30 things out of it. You know, it's, yep. it's that. So you don't have to create, you don't have to spend all your time because we don't want to be spending all our time bloody blogging. We want to actually be building stuff. Exactly. You know? Yeah, so, totally. So use that time effectively. Get as much good juice out of, you know, each piece of IP that you can. Put yes. it across as many channels as you can. You will get a different response on, on the different channels. Tweak it to suit, you know, reuse it a, a year later, two years later, whatever you know, and, and make it as efficient as possible. Get systematized like Ian Moore did with his details, you know, exactly. get systematized with that stuff as well to make it easier for you yep. to get new and, clients. And I uh, work on, I've been working on this specifically with clients around the idea that there is at least 10,000 words a week coming out of their, their mouths in their studio, mm-hmm. whether that's talking mm-hmm. to people, talking to their staff, doing whatever, and if they don't have their voice recorder turned on 
and they're not yeah. sending those recordings to a transcription service like Rev, they yeah. are massively missing out because that, that content, that, that very, yeah. very valuable knowledge is yeah. just sort of floating out into the air and then poof, it's gone. <laughs> and like, you know, so, so there's ways that you can be, and you said you were spot on to be systematized about capturing yeah. content at the source where it's just yeah. a byproduct, but then figuring yeah. out things to do with it. Um, you know, yeah. taking out the little bits and putting them on LinkedIn, um, doing, you know, doing things, um, figuring out if, if clients are asking me questions and I'm giving answers, that question is probably something that also has a lot of search traffic. And my answer, if transcribed, essentially becomes the response that then puts yes. me at the top of Google. Um, yes. You know, I, I, even in my own practice, I record all my consulting calls now and I transcribe all of them because I don't mm. want to be thinking about what blog topic should I write about or what should I be doing. I just want to reflect on what was already created during the week. Yes. Um, yes. So that's a that's certainly a way that that architects can start looking at content, whether it's video or they're just capturing sound or whatever they're doing. Um, all the content that they need is there. They're actually needing to filter it. Really, they've yes. got more than they possibly need. Yes. Um, yes. And so a lot of like, yeah. people love the building site stuff, like the behind the scenes stuff. Like people love that. Um, you know, like how we there's archiporn, but there's like how did we get to Archiporn? Like what did we have to do to get there? And like, I find that intriguing and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I love, you know, okay. So how did we do that? Is that a timber frame thing? Or we did a steel, we did a little bit of angle here and we did, you know, I love that shit, man. You know, yeah, it's like, totally. and, and it's, it's kind of, it's almost like looking behind the wizard of Oz kind of curtain, but still, you know, I think it's a way to, to really connect with, with people rather than just showing one shiny facade and like, that's it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's magic. I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, absolutely. I want to put a, um, a GoPro on every architect's Christmas list. Um, yeah. yes. because I like go, go look at Andrew Maynard's YouTube account, um, yeah. site visits mm. and stuff like that, making short videos around that. And if you're finding that there's not enough information in there, then, chuck on your microphone in quick time and record a little uh, a voiceover to go over the top of it. And then, yeah. I mean, YouTube is this is the second biggest social media yes. network in Australia. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it is also understood to currently be the most important search engine yes. where people are asking for answers to their questions. And there are yes. very few people producing content, very few architects producing content in that area. Yes. And, yes. and if they don't, someone else will, someone who's not an architect, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, yes. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of very, very important to think about that stuff. But yeah, I think going around and thinking about those things is, is really cool. And then I guess there is a certain amount of, it isn't absolutely necessary. I mean, you're not going to go out of business if you don't do it. But I mean, yeah. what drives you to do this additional sort of stuff? I think there's like I some just, sort of energy, right? You want to... Do I it. just love it. I love yeah. it. And, mm. you know, if I was, when I, especially when I first started, maybe not so much now because I've actually got work to do, but when I first started, if I wasn't doing this, what would I be doing? You know, I'd be sitting around going, oh, when's, you know, when's someone going to give me a call and ask me to do their job for them? Like, it's boring. So, yeah. <laughs> so this, <clears throat> because I'm a social media animal, like I love it. Like I'm in there all the time and it just, it just, it just works for me. I just enjoy it and I, yes. I love doing it. 
Um, and yes, now I have to sort of check myself because I've actually got clients and I've actually got work to do. So, <laughs> you know, I can't yep. be on there all the time, but, but it still informs. And, and I find it's interesting too, a lot of stuff that I post, I find like former clients like liking it or, you know, responding to it or whatever. So I think even though I may not have any more to do with those people because our, like, you know, our time is sort of passed or whatever, but they're still, they're still interested in what I have to yeah. say or in what I'm doing or whatever. And, you know, I do get, I do get the odd repeat customer because, um, you know, maybe their mum's building a house or maybe their sister's doing something or whatever. Um, so I, I do get that, but yeah, I find it, I, I just, I find it fun. I love, I love doing it. And I, I feel, a you know, this whole knowledge sharing thing, I, I feel like I grew up, you know, I grew up, my dad worked in factories. My mum worked in a supermarket, right? Didn't mm-hmm. have, I don't have architectural heritage. I don't have building heritage. You know, I don't have any of that stuff. So I just went to uni and I, I learned all I could learn and I've been on building sites a lot and whatever. So I almost feel this like moral imperative to, to share what I've learnt, you know, yeah. um, and to, to share you know, basics about what makes, what makes homes great to live in because the house that I grew up in was a bit crap and it was too hot in summer and too cold in winter. And, you know, if, if I could go and tell my parents, look, if you just look, just do this, move that window, you know, put this here and, and do that there and it's going to be so much better, you know. But yeah. I didn't have that opportunity. But if I can have that opportunity with other people, like that is, that is brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Jennifer. Um, do you, do you want to plug, I mean, do you want to plug anything? <laughs> I don't want to plug anything. Well, if anyone's looking for an interesting Christmas gift, I have my Christmas gift vouchers that are <laughs> until, um, Christmas Eve. So for $200, you get, you know, one hour, um, site visit, usually priced at $250 or one and a half hour Skype session. So, um, feel free, uh, to, have a look at my Facebook page, our new home coach and get in touch with me, send me a message, whatever. And um, yeah, we can um, get that sorted out for you. But Beautiful. Yeah. That's a great plug. That's like the best, <laughs> that's like the best, best plug I've ever heard. Because <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. It was so, so interesting. And I think, um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of firms that are, they, they want to do, they want to do what they want to do, which is what you're doing, which is just yeah. being yourself and doing what yeah. makes you happy and, and that you've got yeah. passion for. And they feel yeah. like they're a bit straitjacketed and the more sort of alternatives that they see, um, yeah, it, it helps to give people a nudge to go like, oh, I can, yeah. I can do that sort of thing too. So just, no, it's been, a, been it. a little bit Yeah. Give it a go. You know, it's all you can do.